0: clutch athletics and rich paul the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community with rising defensive football stars will anderson and chase young on the roster clutch athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes giving them style and performance on and off the field learn more and purchase clutch athletics at newbalance.com hey y'all i'm bud elliott and this is cover three college football summer school We've done our research on the teams and now we're bringing on the top team experts from the 24 seven sports network to help us fill in the blanks. Please follow us on Twitter at cover three podcast. That's cover three podcast and leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. All right. Class is in session. Hey guys, welcome back into the Cover 3 College Football Podcast. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is Summer School. If you're watching this on YouTube, as you should, give us that nice like and subscribe up there. You'll see that I am not in our 24-7 sports studios and also not at home today. I am actually in the Country Music Television Series XM Studio, because our studios here in the offices in Nashville are in use, so uh, that's the new background. And today we're going to talk a little Minnesota. And to do that, I'm going to bring on my friend Ryan Burns of Gopher Illustrated expert all things minnesota was very on that team last year and very much correct to be so uh ryan welcome back to the show man
1: i appreciate it and yeah it must be a tough life now being in the country music uh yeah it must be real tough there i'm very envious
0: (laughs) i I was uh i I had to unplug some stuff and i'm really not sure what i (laughs) unplugged to get get this laptop uh i'm I'm gonna replace everything just like i did i actually took a little photo before i I started pulling cords so uh (laughs) If SiriusXM goes off the air for the, for their country music station. Um, oops, wasn't me. I live in Orlando. So uh, nine wins last year for Minnesota. Legitimate top 20, top 25-ish, depending on what power ranking uh, you look at.
1: Everybody has to be pretty happy in Gopherland, right? Uh, You'd think so. Uh, I think when you look back at last season – some people are happy. Some people can't get over their losses to number one, Bowling Green, which again, it is inexcusable to lose to Bowling Green at home, a bad Mac team in the way that they did. And then they also lost to Illinois at home, a team that was just a 500 team. And you look at why they lost and it's the offense. And it's why Minnesota made a change in the off season to bring back Kirk Scirocca, let Mike Sanford go. He's now at Colorado and you get the whole revenge game narrative was Colorado is going to be coming to Minneapolis here this fall. And I can assure you, Mike Sanford's going to try to throw everything he can at Minnesota and try and get back at him. But nine wins is a good season for Minnesota. And that's where I thought they would be. I mean, we're talking about a team in the Big Ten West where if Nebraska, for the love of everything that was Nebraska football last year, they're up two scores in the fourth quarter at home against Iowa. And if they just hold on to that, Minnesota would have been the team that went to the Big Ten championship game. That's now two of the last three seasons where. Minnesota gets to the final game of the year and they have a chance to go to Indianapolis and they're not able to get done. So that's where you look at what they have coming back this year. Uh, A lot on offense. They have to replace some things defensively. But I think this is a team that is probably not being talked about enough here in the West that won 11 games in 2019. They won nine games last year. So I think from what I've even seen in spring practice, I think this is going to be a pretty good Minnesota football team.
0: Let, let's start there with that offense uh disappointing last year to be sure given what they brought back on the offensive line uh tanner morgan is a guy who as a you know as, a, as when he was younger in his career uh was being hyped up for draft stuff i don't know if that was unfair uh maybe a little too high expectations given his physical skill set but i i had him in the bottom half of college football last year in terms of o- offensive power rating and i just I was never high on what Mike Sanford does, to be honest. I, sure. I, still, don't, I still don't get that higher for Colorado. Uh, just you know, given what his previous stops, but Kirk Sorochan did a damn good job when he was there. I mean, he had some dudes on the outside to be sure who are now on the Ravens and Bucks, I think. But uh, is, is it a comfort level thing? Is it just a he understands how Tanner thinks? That's it has got to be part if you're betting on a bounce back, him coming back and and maybe just gelling better with with Morgan.
1: Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And that's where I think Tanner Morgan is a quarterback, if this makes sense. He really thrives in the black and white. He's not a quarterback that that thrives when he goes off script, when the play breaks down or when he doesn't be, you know, if he gets past his second read, things don't usually go well. But now that Minnesota knows what they want their passing game offense identity to be, because I do think that was part of it. I think the last two seasons they had an identity crisis of the passing game where, they threw a lot of different concepts out there and see what's stuck against the wall. If it's stuck against the wall, they try it the next week, and then if it didn't work, they continually kept throwing things against the wall, and now they're going to get back to what they were in 2019, and that is an inside zone, outside zone, RPO type of offense where it's going to be slant, it's going to be the deep out, it's going to be the skinny post, and it's going to be play action. And that's where even if you talk to Kirk Schrock or Tanner Morgan like we did this spring, it is just about comfort level. And that's where Tanner's even said. I mean, I worked with Kirk for three years before he left. And now that he's back and I'm 23, 24 years old, I'm not afraid to say when he asks me, Do you like this play? I'm gonna tell him no. And then Kirk laughingly, or I guess jokingly, would say, I wasn't used to that when he was when I was here last. But I think those two know what Tanner's skills are, what his strengths are, and that's what they're kind of trying to tailor the offense to. But I mean, the passing game was broken. They threw the least amount of any Power 5 team last year and it was an abomination of an offense. It looked like something you would have seen in the 1950s. They have some horses on the outside and Chris Ottman bell and I think there's expectations for guys like Dalen Wright and tight end Bremen Span ford But if they can just go from having a passing offense that was incredibly mediocre, it was bad, to just having an average passing offense, not even above average, just an average passing offense here in 2022, I mean, this is, again, an offense that should be scoring 25, 28 points a game because they still have Mo Ibrahim coming back as the 2020 running back of the year. Yes, and it's an Achilles injury, but passing game familiarity was a huge point of emphasis this spring. And it seemingly ended this past uh, weekend with the spring game with Kirk Scirocco and Tanner Morgan are on the same page. Because to your point, Tanner Morgan's not an NFL talent. But if he can be an, an average to above-average quarterback this season, that would do wonders for this offense.
0: Yeah, and we, we saw the last time that he and Kirk were together and cooking, mean, he just took care of the ball, seemed to know where he was going with the ball. But mm-hmm. Last year, their success rate throwing the football was 42%. I mean, that's horrendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you mentioned, they didn't pass the ball very much. They still had 22 sacks. On less than 300 dropbacks, which is an unacceptably high number of, of sacks, and it does just speak to the the pass game dysfunction. Uh, last real question I have here, here on the offense, because mm-hmm. I think we're on the same page. I mean, they're, they're loaded at receiver. There's a lot of names everybody's going to recognize there. Um, offensive line wise, it seems like they do
1: have quite a bit to replace there. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the sacks last year, and again, I think sacks aren't necessarily a reflection a reflection of the offensive line. I think it's more of a quarterback stat. Um, It is some of it's on the offensive line. And Minnesota did struggle in pass protection. I mean, you look at the passing game dysfunction. It wasn't just Tanner Morgan. It wasn't just Mike Sanford. The receivers were in and out all season with injuries. The offensive line struggled to pass pro. But they do have a lot to replace up front. They were the most experienced offensive line in college football last year. They lose four of their five starters. Now, the one that they do return, I think, should be a Remington candidate in John Michael Schmitz, someone that if he would have left for the NFL draft this past season as an all Big Ten center. I bet you he would have probably been a a late day two pick, early day three. He's a very good player. But you're replacing him with some inexperience. Now, they're not young, which I think is an important distinction. You look at what the projected offensive line is supposed to be for Minnesota. On each side of John Michael Schmitz at the guard spots, you have two sixth-year guys. So we're talking about 23-, 24-year-old individuals. Chuck Filiaga from Michigan comes from a Joe Moore um, you know, winning offensive line units started every game for them in 20, played some for them last year. Now he slots in for Minnesota at right guard. You have Axel Rushmeyer, who started some games for them in 20, had a big role as kind of their run blocking tight end when Minnesota loved to go to their sixth offensive line package. He's at left guard. They have really high expectations for their left tackle, Ariante Ursary, who, whether you talk to PJ Fleck, whether you talk to Kirk and they think he's got a higher ceiling than Daniel Falele. And Daniel Falele just went, I think, 110 in the NFL draft, early fourth round of the Baltimore Ravens. There's a lot of lofty expectations there, but it's right tackle for me that I have a lot of questions about still. Their projected starter, J.J. Gaudet, wasn't healthy all spring. And then they're going to be adding in Notre Dame transfer, Quinn Carroll, as well. But there are some question marks there, no doubt. But that's where I'm also coming to the conclusion of, it's year six for P.J. Fleck. And we're not talking about guys that are 18, 19, 20 anymore. I mean, we're talking about an offensive line unit that you're 23, at least on the interior. Your left tackle is going to be about 21 and your right tackle options are all in their third or fourth year. So this is what it's supposed to look like in a Big Ten program. But to your point, they are very inexperienced in spots, but they are old, which I think is kind of a silver lining there.
0: There's sort of a uh, BYU-esque element uh, to that where, yeah, you lose a lot of guys, but you got a lot of dudes who uh, have been around the block before, at least been in a college-weight program for a couple years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Side of the ball that really did get into the weight program last year was the (laughs) defense. I mean, I I thought they would be a a better defense. You thought they would be a a much better defense as well. Uh, I don't know that any of us thought that they would be one of the 10 best defenses in college football last year, and they were just – Sneaky dominant? Can we, can we? Is sneaky dominant a, yeah. a, a way to describe them? Like I bet you, if you gave everybody out there in college ball land uh, guesses as to who was named the top ten defenses last year, they get a lot of them. I don't know they get Minnesota, and yet Minnesota was just shutting teams down consistently, getting the ball back for that inept offense. And then I, I pull up the depth chart for this year, and uh, this is why we do summer school because we mm-hmm. need to learn. Uh, this looks a little bit like Virginia's offensive line situation where everybody's basically gone except for one guy. I think they had, what, six or uh, six out of the seven guys who had 100-plus snaps last year on the defensive line are mm-hmm. are gone. Is this – they're going to take a step back. I think it's safe to say how, how big of a step back
1: will they take? That's a good question. Um, you know, if we learned anything about the defense last year, it's that defensive coordinator Joe Rossi is one of the most uh, – least talked about defensive coordinators in college football that needs to be talked about more because he was number two for the Notre Dame DC job. If Al Golden would have decided to stay with the Cincinnati Bengals, it would have been Joe Rossi that would have taken over the defense there at Notre Dame. And I think understandably so because the way his scheme is playing with these guys, that they know what they're doing. I mean, we're not talking about a defense like Georgia that has, I don't know how many I I don't know how many NFL draft picks they ended up having off that Georgia defense here this past weekend, but Minnesota only had two draft picks. It was Boye Mafe at uh, 40 overall to the Seattle Seahawks. They had a sesio Otamewu, their other defensive end going the fifth round of the Vikings. And everybody else was just a really good scheme fit. And that's where in a Joe Rossi defense, it's about just doing your job. If I've learned anything from listening to Joe Rossi talk and talk and talk and talk, it's about the details. That's the word he says over and over and over again. It's the details. And that's where the guys last year knew how to do their job. And that's where you mentioned the defensive line now. They lose a lot of experience. They lose a lot of guys there in their fifth and sixth year, and they're going to be replacing them with a lot of guys that are around that third year in the college program. And that's where I look at this defensive tackle situation. And again, how do you win in the West? You win in the trenches. And that's where I wouldn't be surprised at all if we saw – I look at just defensive line overall. If we saw eight or nine guys play over 100 snaps, there's going to be a lot of rotating because there's a lot of interesting skill sets. Like you have the big nose guard, and say like Logan Richter, who's six foot four, three hundred and forty pounds. You're gonna play him against the Wisconsins and the Iowas of the world, and then you can let the second year defensive uh, tackle Jacob Schuster, a four star that Minnesota has, smaller guys, 6'1", 295. maybe against the Purdue's and the and the Maryland's of the world. You want to put him in. So there's a lot of different skill sets, and that's something I talk with Joe Rossi about in the D line is. It's not just going to be one guy that's going to be expected to fill Boye Amathe's shoes or Niles Pinckney's shoes. They're going to have a multitude of different guys because they are inexperienced there and they are fairly young. But they have a lot of interesting bodies there that I think can manage to do what Joe Rossi wants to do. And that's, number one, stop the run. Minnesota was one of the best run defenses in college football last year. And then they want to limit big plays. Joe Rossi's whole M.O. for Minnesota's defense is If we can make them drive seven, eight, nine plays and they score, good for them. But the three-play, four-play, 75-yard drives, he hates giving up. And that's why Minnesota was so successful last season is it's tough for a Big Ten offense. And I say this with peace and love to Big Ten West offenses. It's kind of brutal at, at different points, especially for like Wisconsin and Iowa's offenses. If they can go seven, eight, nine plays and score on you, good for them but it's why Minnesota lost the Iowa game last year. They have 40 minutes time of possession. They have 150 plus total yards advantage over them, but it's Iowa who won the explosive play battle. And that's why Minnesota ultimately lost the game. So defensive line wise, you're right. They have to replace a lot, but that's where I'm telling you, I wouldn't be surprised if we see eight, nine guys on the defensive line get triple digit snaps as they number one, try to figure out who's the right guy there. But number two, you have a lot of length. You have a lot of mass. You have a lot of different skill sets, which I kind of like in this defensive line room.
0: No doubt about it. Uh, also worth noting that Minnesota does dodge Ohio State and Michigan uh, from right. the East, who are, are likely to be projected, again, as the top two teams there in the East. Uh, linebacker should be just... Fine, I would say so. I, I mean, unless I'm wrong on that, let's go to, uh, the, to the secondary. Mm-hmm. They do lose Corey Dur. Uh, you bring in the the Western uh, West Kentucky kid, uh, who's now a name I'm forgetting. Beanie Bishop. Um, Bishop, there we go. Yep. And uh, this should be part of the of the mo as you mentioned was the lack of of big plays. And, and the two ways you have big plays are somebody gets beat or you have a bust. And uh, mm-hmm. with the assignment sound nature of Joe Rossi's defense, Uh, limiting bust was certainly something this defense did last year, and I would expect that to continue.
1: I do too. I mean, that's where you look at the 21 defense, why was it successful? Well, their strengths were in their front seven, and they played a lot of zone on the back end to try and mitigate some of the issues they had back there. Well, when I sat down with Joe Rossi here this past week, I asked him, what do you think the strengths of your 22 defense are now going to be? Different year, different personnel, and that's where he even mentioned they think the strength of this 22 is going to be in the secondary. You bring in Beanie Bishop, the the Western Kentucky transfer, was first team all-conference USA. Uh, He's looked the part in spring ball. They brought in a transfer from Abilene Christian and Ryan Stapp, someone that was a freshman all-conference guy or I think freshman all-American at the FCS level. He's looked the part. They have a starting safety duo in Tyler Newbin and Jordan Howden who are going to be in their third and fourth years starting in the Big Ten. I mean, they think that Newbin and Howden back there Should be considered amongst the best starting duos at safety in the Big Ten. They've seen a lot of things, and I think both of them took steps forward. They have a guy by the name of Michael Dixon, who's going to be probably their nickel guy, but you're going to see him in kind of that rover role where he is he can be a big line or he can be a smaller linebacker, six foot two, 205 pounds, but he also can cover guys. He had an interception in the bowl game. They're really optimistic about him. And then the final corner was a pro football-focused true freshman All-American last year and Justin Wally, who went toe-to-toe with David Bell in his first start and made a couple of impactful PBUs on him in the fourth quarter of that game last year against David Bell to help give Minnesota the victory. So that's where when you look at this defense, if the strengths are going to be in the back end, to me, you're going to play a lot more man. And when you have more question marks in that front seven about how are you going to be able to generate pressure – or how are you going to be able to stop the run as effectively as you did last year? Well, to me, that says Minnesota's probably going to blitz more. They're probably going to use more stunts, different things like that. But they do believe that they've got kind of six, seven guys in that back end that they feel very comfortable with going into the summer. And that's where I do believe the strength of this defense will be on the back end.
0: Ryan Burns, go for Illustrated. Going to get you out of here on this one. We don't talk a lot of special teams uh, in, in these previews. With the exception of if you're really, really good or really, really bad, like Rutgers, very good. Nebraska, otherworldly sure. bad. Minnesota was an interesting split in that uh, I actually had them their kickoff and punt numbers as exceptional, uh, uh, and their field goal kicking as just pretty terrible. Are they? Is there anybody else who might handle field goal uh, duties this year? Is there any reason to expect uh, Matthew Trickett to be uh, to be better? I just uh, I mean five five of ten from forty to you know forty to forty nine is uh, is just not. Getting it done when you play as many close games as minnesota does
1: yeah you're right trust me special teams has been something i've talked about for a long time in the fleck era because the last two three years it hasn't been good enough i mean it's flat out lost them games at times you mentioned the kickoff coverage and the punt coverage it's been really good now part of the reason why the punt coverage is really good is because it's 41 yards and a cloud of dust if you need 51 you're going to get 41 if you need (laughs) you know if you need 31 Maybe Mark Crawford, their 28-year-old Australian punter, is going to be able to do it, but there is no flipping the field in Mark Crawford's leg. It's uh, it's not really in there, which is unfortunate, But and their kickoff coverage has been really good. That's part of the reason why they're able to win the field position game, which I think field position margin for last year for Minnesota was one of the best in the country. Kickoff was a part of that, but you mentioned Matthew Trickett. He is going to be the guy. We just talked to Matthew Trickett after the spring game on Saturday, and he mentioned how The biggest thing he's been trying to improve upon is just the mental part of it. He mentioned how field goal kicking is 10% physical, 90% mental, and that's where he mentions he went through a tough stretch last year, and he knows it. We all know it, and he's like, I have to get better from that. I've been working on that, but it does look like it'll be Matthew Trickett from probably, I would say, 47 yards and in. If they need to go from that 47 to 53, they have one of the best names on the entire roster in the Serbian Dragan Kessich, who attempted one field goal last year, which was a uh, questionable decision at best as you're on the road at Iowa right before half, 52 yards, and it got blocked. But uh, there's not enough time on this show to kind of get into the logistics of uh, that whole situation and maybe the play before that happened. So field goal kicking, in theory, it should be decent for Minnesota. We know that their coverage units are going to be good. My thing is there has been absolutely zero in the return game. I mean, we're talking about it's one of the banes of my entire existence as a go-for-beat guy is watching the punt return guy fair catch everything or he lets it bounce to him. He's 10 yards too deep or he lets it go over his head and it bounces 15 yards behind him and there's no kickoff return game to speak of. So if there's any hope I have for a fleck special teams effort, I just want to see something resembling a return game because they have the athletes to potentially be shifty back there and to actually help them maybe gain some yardage in the field position game.
0: I feel like that might be a little uh, little annoyance for you there, I, I <laughs> just, just by, by, by the tone. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly an area they they, they could improve in. Um, this team, I feel like, is is a West contender. Yet again, as, as long as the uh, realistically another top 10 level defense when you lose two NFL ends is probably going to be def, you know, tough to replicate. But if they could stay top 25 or top 20 defensively and you, you take a – a step forward on offense and maybe go from 70th to like, I don't know, 40th, 35th or something like that. Yep, um, That's
1: that's a recipe that can win the West. It's going to come down to whether they can get over the final. It's the two final games of the season. It's can you get over the Iowa hump where Fleck is 0-5, and, and you look at the Minnesota gets them final home game of the season, so it's senior day. And, oh, by the way, the week before Iowa comes to the Twin Cities, they have to play the Wisconsin Badgers. So where are they going to be at physicality wise? I can tell you there is no game that Minnesota wants to win more than the Iowa Hawkeye game because there's no coaching staff that talks more crap on the recruiting trail than the Iowa Hawkeyes do about the Minnesota Golden Gophers. They know it. Iowa knows it. And Iowa knows they're 5-0 against Fleck. And I do believe it's almost like a mental thing at this point because I mentioned it already. Minnesota has 40 minutes time of possession wins the total yards by 150 down in Kinnick stadium last year. And they still lost. I don't know that I've ever seen that before. A team has 40 minutes time of possession and they lose. It was, I mean, as someone who was there in person, it was quite remarkable at, at stretches there. But to your point, I don't understand where you look at some of the books, like, again, I get it. Nebraska fans love to bet their own team, but I think even FanDuel has them fourth in the West right now. And to your point, Iowa and Wisconsin both have Ohio State on schedule. Minnesota avoids Ohio State and Michigan. Now they have tough road games at Michigan State and at Penn State. But I would mention that at Happy Valley game is number one a revenge game for Kirk Sharaka and his one year there. But it's also a trap game for Penn State because bookending that Minnesota game, Ohio State, Michigan. You know, yeah. where are they, they going to potentially overlook Minnesota? But it comes down to can you beat Iowa at home? And then you've won two of the last four against Wisconsin. I would argue they should have won three of the last four because they botched it in overtime in, in 2020 in Camp Randall. But this is a good Minnesota team. And to your point, they don't have to be a top 10 defense. If they're just a top 20, top 25, which I think for Joe Rossi, I think is realistic. And then they don't have to be worldly better in the passing. And they just have to be average. And that's where the last thing is, like Everybody loves in this, you know, the fans don't think Tanner Morgan's very good. I think he's fine. But one of the things I love to look at is uh, expect, expected points added. I think it's a great quarterback stat. Tanner Morgan last year, for all of his faults, was 57th in the FBS in expected points added. He was slightly above average. You look at Wisconsin and Iowa's quarterbacks, Spencer Petris and Graham Burtz, number 121 and number 122 in expected points added last year. They were horrible. If Tanner Morgan can just get around 50, even just even more, just slightly above average. I think this is has a chance to be a team that why not Minnesota in 2022? The schedule is advantageous. You get Iowa at home. I think this is a chance to be. I think this personally is flex most talented team from starter one to 22 here in 2022 in his sixth year. Now, what that equates to in wins and losses, it's going to come down to special teams. It's going to come down to how does the offense kind of gel together? Can the defense be that top 25 unit when they go against these teams? But I think this has a chance to be maybe this is the year Minnesota finally gets over the hump because if you're just looking at who has been the most consistent quarterback between the three contenders there in Iowa, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, it's actually been Tanner Morgan, and if you look at EPA – it really wasn't even close last year.
0: No doubt about it. We'll be checking out all the coverage on gopherillustrated.com this summer and, of course, have Ryan back this fall for our little fall quickie previews. Ryan, really appreciate you joining us here on Summer School.
1: Yeah, enjoy the country music. we <laughs> Will
0: do.
2: Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash audio. Visit IXL.com slash audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
0: Hey guys, welcome back into the Cover 3 College Ball Podcast. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is Summer School. Today we're going to talk a little Rutgers Scarlet Knights. To do so, I'm joined by Scarlet Nation's Bobby Darren. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bud. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, really excited to get this thing going. Uh, last year, five-win team for Rutgers. Uh, they did outplay their power ratings a lot. I, I know we talked to, to producer Lance Lance Glenn about that a lot. He, we we disagree on on just just how good they <laughs> were, but certainly a a step up in performance over the prior years. Things you know seem to be going fairly well under Greg Schiano, right. a, a hire that I I liked uh, quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Overall feeling in uh, in Scarlet Nation right now. Everybody's excited about having Greg back because, I
3: mean, it really went through some dark times after he left. I mean, he was getting them to the point where they were really, you know, starting to peak, starting to, you know, get to a point where they had a top 25 class. And then all of a sudden he bolts for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They hire Kyle Flood and then Chris Ash. And it was just. You know, it was miserable. I mean, it was a 78 nothing loss to Michigan. I don't think I've ever seen a team get beaten so bad at any level. You know, they didn't have a first down till the fourth quarter. I mean, watching games like that and following was tough for the fan base. So now that there's kind of, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel, it's a lot of excitement, engulfing the entire fan base.
0: No doubt. Uh, so we, we usually start on the off side of these, and that's where I'll, I will start here. Uh, certainly not the better side of the, t- <laughs> of, of the two sides for Rutgers last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had him power rated 112th in offense, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess thank God for for Northwestern, right? Otherwise, they, they would have yes. been Vanderbilt. Um, mm-hmm. Rushing slightly better than, than passing. Uh, I'll start at the most important position on the field because I, I got to say, in doing my research for for these pieces, and, and we're doing about 70 of them, uh, mm-hmm. I felt like there wasn't another team out there that had as big of a gap between quarterback quality and and rest of the roster quality, at least just mm-hmm. you know based on on the stats. What what are you seeing at quarterback this year? uh gavin
3: wimsett is enrolled early you know came in after quinn ewers did the same thing and kind of learned as he went should have been a high school should still be in high school actually should still be a high school senior had the benefit of playing a little bit last year had the benefit of spring practice added some nice weight i mean really looks like he's got a lot of potential to be the guy moving forward greg ciano is not going to announce a starter until training camp but you know, I'd find it hard to believe that somebody's going to unseat him. The kid's just got so much talent. Um, you know, Rutgers hasn't had a guy like that, you know, probably since Tom Savage. I mean, different type of player, but, you know, an NFL caliber guy who can really get a lot of things done. Um, Wimsett's also a guy who can run, uh, can throw. I mean, he's got a cannon for an arm. He's starting to understand the offense and, you know, is a lot of positives uh, in regard to him, a former four star who's really going to add a new dimension to the offense. Mm-hmm.
0: So you, you, you do think he, he will beat out Noah?
3: Yes. I mean, like I said, you know, I, they're not going to announce anything. They're going to keep sure. the competition open. But I'd be hard-pressed to believe that, that Noah Vedro is going to start over Gavin Wimsett this year.
0: Interesting. Okay. Uh, uh, running back, Pacheco, I feel like not a huge loss. I mean, they, they, can, mm-hmm. they can replicate his production. I, mm-hmm. I am curious about receiver, though. Uh, a lot of receivers are back for this team. Mm-hmm. And they add a guy, I mean, I, I'm an ACC guy myself, uh, mm-hmm. getting Taj Harris in from Syracuse. It, I do think he has a different level of ability uh, physically mm-hmm. than, than maybe some of the dudes that Rutgers was running out there last year. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. they, they do lose Bo Melton. Are you expecting mm-hmm. Taj Harris to be eligible? Yes.
3: Um, you okay. know, has some work to do in the classroom. But, you know, Greg Schiano wouldn't have taken him. I don't think if he if he wasn't certain that he could get them ready to play and I, I think that'll that'll take care of itself but you know he's a guy you mentioned Melton he's similar to Melton but I think he's got more elusiveness can Can make guys miss more Melton's more of a straight line speed guy you saw that's kind of the reason he fell to the seventh round um, even though he ran a 4 4 at the combine had 55 catches last year they're going to need to to have someone else step in and and pick up the slack but Harris looks like the guy. I mean, he he looked really good in spring ball. And then you bring in Sean Ryan from uh, West Virginia, who had a decent year last year, had some big catches, you know, big receiver. And you also have Aaron Krushank from um, Wisconsin, Josh Youngblood, who transferred from Kansas state was injured last year, but was the big team special, uh, big 12 special teams player of the year as a true freshman. So you have four transfers in there that are really going to contribute at the wide receiver position. Uh, I think those guys will help carry the load and it's really going to be a new look offense. You, know, you talk about uh, if Wimsett potentially gets in there, Harris, Ryan, these transfers, young blood will play
0: more of a role. And then you have four transfers on the offensive line. For sure. I, I was going to ask you about that. The, the offensive mm-hmm. line, you know, just surface numbers, they do lose a lot from last year, but they get four transfers in. Um right. I feel like Shano, just being a Florida guy myself, uh, I've always really respected the job that he has done scouting players. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that trickles down, you know, to, to his staff there. Uh, is there a chance this offensive line is is better with these transfers than it was last year? Yeah, and last year they started
3: 10 offensive linemen over the course of the season. There was never uh, three games they started the same five, so it was always different. They were just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks. So now you have some continuity with these guys coming in, um, or building continuity, I should say, and I I think you'll see the same starting five throughout the season. I would expect at least three of those five transfers to start on the offensive line. All have previous starting experience. Uh, Curtis Dunlap started at Minnesota. Uh, You have Willie Tyler started at Louisiana Lafayette and J.D. Dorenzo was at Sacred Heart, but he was an All-American there, had a lot of big-time offers as he made the jump up. So uh, those three guys, I think, are really going to play a difference on on the offensive line. And and really, I mean, last year you talked about Pacheco. He sometimes, he'd have to break three or four tackles to get back to the line of scrimmage. You know, it it was just, you know, there was no go with with the offensive line. And when you start 10 different guys, I mean, that says something right there. So um, I think there's, there's, they're going to be better up front and that they have to be with, with, you know, establishing a running game and keeping a
0: guy like Wimsett healthy. That's, uh, that's, that's cool. They're bringing in Dunlap. I, I've known Curtis since he was probably 15, I would say. You know, he, oh, yeah? uh, he, he wanted want to be a marine biologist. And I always thought yeah. like, Damn, Curtis! Like in high school, you're damn near 400 pounds. <laughs> they, they make wetsuits that you know, <laughs> big. But that's uh, that's awesome. He's uh, he's taking. He's he's got to be a grad transfer now, right? I would think. Yeah, it's, it's been yeah. So long and ago. he's
3: still got two years. I mean, with all you know, with the extra year and everything. Oh, the COVID and, uh, year. Yeah, and uh, so he's still got two years to play. And real nice kid, talkative kid. You know, I spoke to him after practice and in, in the spring, and uh, you know, it seemed like a nice addition.
0: Yeah, no, he's he's a super nice kid. Uh, let's go ahead to the other side of the ball now with the defense, usually Greg Schiano's trademark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was much better than the offense for people at home who didn't watch Rutgers. Uh, I had him 45th in my power ratings for defense, mm-hmm. really good run defense, pass defense. I actually thought was kind of like low-key terrible when you factored in the quality of quarterbacks they played. They did play Ohio State and Michigan, obviously, who, who could chuck it around pretty mm-hmm. well. But they also – Temple Northwestern, Delaware, Illinois, Indiana uh, – that was Penn State without Sean Clifford,
2: I yes. think, and then yeah, and yeah. in
0: Syracuse. Yeah, I'm looking at, like, I, I had their QBs face rating uh, mm-hmm. as as poor, and so I, I didn't like the performance they had pass game-wise, you know, against mm-hmm. that quality of QB they faced. But their run mm-hmm. defense was really good. That's kind of where I want to start here. Mm-hmm. Lose three of the top four on the defensive line, I think, right, and mm-hmm. lose three of the top four linebackers. Uh, are you ex- – Well, are you expecting a drop off? And and if so, uh, how much? well the defensive line is kind of deceiving
3: because they have a lot of young talent some of the guys who were you know returning starters probably would have got beaten out this year anyway so um you would, you're seeing some of these young guys really start to emerge they have a, they they went after a lot of defensive ends when greg jenner first came in he wants those long rangy 66 65 67 guys who can really bend and you know really athletic so uh, he's recruiting a different type of player but the defensive line is probably the best unit right now even losing some guys i I mean stepping up, uh, you know, you see, they have two uh, veterans in the middle, and Ephine Major Temple uh, Temple transfer, Mayan Hanatua transfer from Minnesota. <laughs> Common theme with the transfers here, and um, Keontae Hamilton, who is going to be a sophomore, who's just you know been been really good was a top wrestler coming out of high school and I think he's going to have a huge year then you have some defensive end depth as well Um linebackers are a little thin you had two injuries major injuries in spring practice but they're only, usually only play two linebackers and three cornerbacks so it, it's not as big a good gap because you don't have you know as many players at the position and the secondary looks pretty tough and um I, I think the defense is going to be better actually this year but last year I think one of the reasons they really struggled against the pass is because they didn't have those prolific pass rushers that could really get to the quarterback, the edge guys just, you know, they didn't have it. Aaron Lewis is a guy they're going to count on this year, but he was still, you know, needed a year in off season development, in the weight room and stuff. But, um, you know, they just, they just couldn't get that. They didn't have that sack guy that
0: could really get there. For sure. Uh, Bobby, just two more for you. So on, on the secondary, uh, curious here, wh- what do you see uh, as far as, was that more guys getting beat last year, or uh, was it more? Hey, new system, communication, coverage, bus mm-hmm. dudes just wide open because somebody just turned them loose. Because uh, I'm curious with all the experience back. If mm-hmm. it's the latter, I, I'm kind of a, the mindset that hey, another year in a the system, they could minimize mm-hmm. the, the number of guys just running wide open. Well, it was a couple different things. Max Melton
3: is their top corner. He was suspended for three games last year. Um, they had to fill in some guys, had some injuries. Trey Avery was back. Is supposed to be an anchor. He was a fifth-year guy and had just a terrible year. Um, sometimes when they did cover, you know, they wouldn't get enough pressure. So you can only cover for so long. Um, so I think it was a mix of all those things, not necessarily guys getting beat. He did have some young guys in there kind of learning on the fly. Um, but I think sometimes that lack of pressure on the quarterback really asked a lot of the secondary to, you know, cover
0: these big 10 receivers for so long. For sure. Uh, and, and last one here, uh, the punter, Cruxshank, or, or uh, Corsick, he's back. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Back for a six year. And he's just been phenomenal. He's been, <laughs> I mean, you watch
3: him and it's, it's like he just puts the ball in the 10 yard line. And it just stops. And, um, you know, he's, he's just, you know, a weapon. Greg Schiano called him the best he's ever seen at the position. So, and, and you know, his game's not really built for the NFL. You know, it's tough to break in there as a punter anyway. So he came back, he told me a couple of weeks ago, he's working on his third master's degree. So, um, wow. you know, yeah, really, really nice kid. And, and I mean, just deadly with positioning the ball and, and just such a weapon. And, you know, when your punter is, you know, your MVP every year. I mean, well, it says something about, you know, your team on, on both sides, but it also speaks to how good he is. He's just so precise with everything. And, and um, he, they really benefit with him coming back this year.
0: We, we, uh, we, we, we talk a lot of betting angle, angles on this show. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, typically special teams are not that huge of a part of the game. Mm-hmm. I know coaches are like, Oh, it's one third, one third, one third. And no, that's just not true. But on the extreme margins, uh, they really can impact an outcome, a spread, something you have to consider. I feel like if you weren't accounting for the hidden field position edge that Rutgers was gaining last year through the punting game, you were probably making a mistake. Similar like to, to how another team in the conference wearing red, Nebraska was, I think, mm-hmm. my worst punting team in the entire country. And if you didn't account for that, like they literally lost the Michigan State game because the kid <laughs> hit the ball to the wrong side of the – like nobody was over <laughs> there and they just got uh-huh. cartwheels into the end zone. So – <laughs> uh, bobby really appreciate it. everybody just check out scarlet nation up and coming program here with Rutgers. i uh, just feel like they're on great footing with greg shiano and bobby does all the great coverage over there really appreciate it coming on all right thanks for having me but i appreciate it no problem Bobby. be well all
3: right thank you
4: selling a little or a lot to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com/slash Odyssey Podcast. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast.
0: Hey y'all, welcome back into the Cover Three College Football Podcast. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is Summer School, where we try to learn the most. About all the college football teams out there today, we're gonna to talk a little Kansas State. And to do so, we're gonna to go to my buddy Tim Fitzgerald, goPowercat.com. Tim, welcome to cover three.
5: It's good beyond. Just sitting in a hotel in Vegas. So when this, when this hits the air, it'll seem like I've been here for three weeks. It'll be <laughs>
0: awesome. That's uh that, that is that's the kind of dedication we're looking for here at summer school. Tim, <laughs> Tim is on, on vacation, you know, post day, post spring ball. He's hit, he's hitting Vegas, and uh what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except what he says on this podcast, which will hit exactly. your ears and, and eyes. Follow us on, on YouTube as well. Like and subscribe if you guys enjoy the show. Appreciate Tim making the time. So Kansas State, 8-5 and five last year. Uh, I had a power rated in, in, inside my top 25 personally. I think a lot of other folks did as well. Uh, the mood in Manhattan has to be pretty good about this squad, I would feel like, right?
5: Yeah, I mean, the big question coming out of last season into this season was the quarterback situation with Skylar Thompson. Uh, going to the NFL, picked in the seventh round. And they pretty much solved that with Adrian Martinez. As far as we can tell, we we don't know uh, if he's going to be fully healthy. We don't know if he's cut down on the turnovers, but he is one heck of a quarterback, great athlete. Uh, And if he can kind of close up some of the loops in his game, he could be really effective in an offense with Deuce Vaughn at his side.
0: You know, Tim, I I was thinking about that because Nebraska – Despite the turnovers and just the, the untimely nature of some of the turnovers, not, not that there's ever a great time to have turnovers, but some of those turnovers just came at really critical junctures, and yet they still kept running them out there, which made me think he, they have to see something in him in practice uh, enough that, that is still so attractive that they want to keep playing him. Maybe another voice gets through to him on, on Kansas State staff, and, and they're able to have him minimize those turnovers or maybe just happen at a little bit less inopportune times, and, and you have something there.
5: Uh, maybe just asking him to do some different things. And What's what's interesting about it is we don't really know what we're going to see from the K-State offense because there's a new offensive coordinator and former K-State quarterback Colin Klein. We saw a little taste of it in the Texas Bowl, but we don't really know what all he's changed in this offense. But I know this, he's pretty excited. as a former run-first quarterback himself. He's thrilled to have Adrian Martinez in that backfield. like I said, when you pair them up with Deuce Vaughn and some pretty good receivers and tight ends, this could be a really good Kansas state offense.
0: Well, one of the things I love watching uh, Kansas state's offense is you know, not, not the high flying passing attack, but it, the, the, the word that comes to me is, is hesitation. It's just, they, I feel like the defenses are always hesitating. They're, they're, they're struggling to attack what Kansas state does because Kansas state does create a lot of hesitation in you and, and a lot of indecision. I feel like, you know, it, is Deuce Vaughn going to get the ball? Was Scatter Thompson get, get, going to keep it? Are, are, are they going to, you know, do a long fake in the backfield and hell, oh, there's a pop pass to the tight end who's streaking down the field yep. against Oklahoma. Um, Receiver wise, they got to feel pretty good as well with, with Brooks and Knowles and, and those guys back, right? Like they got some weapons here. Yeah, yeah, and you know
5: the, the offense struggled for most of last season to get the, the receivers involved. In fact, the last of two seasons the The change of offensive coordinator seems to address that. They were very involved in the bowl game. And we actually saw a little bit less Deuce Vaughn, which made him more effective. It made him more of a surprise. Like you said, you're always looking for Deuce to get it. The problem with Deuce is he's about three feet tall and he hides behind his offensive line. He plays as low as anyone I've ever seen. The photos of him running, um, he's so low that his headgear is quite often in his offensive lineman's butts, and I'm not making that up. That's how low he runs. So you can imagine the the problem as a defender uh, trying to locate him, let alone know if he has the ball or not. So it's really fun to watch. and I think Colin Klein's going to have him going a little bit faster with the tempo of the offense when they need to, which was something else they really needed in this offense was to kind of pick it up at
0: different points of the game. That's uh, that. That is a, a really great note for for us. Obviously, we do, we do talk a good bit of gambling, and of course, uh, you know, over and unders are are made due to offensive and defense efficiency, but also tempo. It can make a huge difference there. Uh, my one real question on the offense here is the offensive line. Uh, they lose three out of their top five starters off a unit that, it, at least to my numbers, looked like they stayed fairly healthy last year. Uh, what is there any way well, they avoid a drop off here?
5: No, I think they're going to be fine. They they did have a preseason injury of a starter, so. Taylor Porter, will be back. Um, okay. you know, Cooper, Cooper BB played left tackle. They've actually lost their entire interior of the line. Uh, he played left tackle last year, but he's probably moving inside. They feel good about it. They have some young guys that, um, you know, they feel like they're kind of plug and play guys. Uh, we'll find out. Uh, the one thing about this system since Chris Kleiman came to town with Connor Riley as his offensive line coach is the offensive line has been a constant strength of the team. And, and really consistent. So if they can maintain that, this could be a really uh, dynamic offense in
0: in uh, Colin Klein's hands. And I mean, that's just that's one thing climate teams have always done well is not beating themselves with negative plays yeah. typically. Uh, so. Yeah. And awesome. that gets Xavier uh,
5: Martinez. If he can if he can cut those out, uh, they, they should be in pretty good
0: shape. Man, you know, if they get him going, those Nebraska coaches are going to be like, they're, they're going to be happy for the kid, obviously, but they're going to be just frustrated that they, they oh, no. couldn't get that there in, in Lincoln. Uh, defensively, side of the ball last year was was the better side of the ball for, for K-State. Uh, defensive line looks looks fine, right? They, they should be probably yeah. even a little bit better? You know, what's funny is we think
5: so, uh, but they had so many, uh, you know, they played the last bowl game, so they weren't done until January 5th. With their bowl game and uh, they had a lot of injuries from the season that needed to be fixed including basically their entire defensive line so they were out the whole spring in fact they had to use a, a long snapper and an offensive lineman for for d line depth if they're if they're healthy they're going to be really good they have got you know felix andy Duque Ozama. it's potentially a breakout star um you know they they've got some guys that have returned they should be pretty good. Last year was a growing process as they switched to the three-man front, something that um, these coaches had never done. This is not what they did at North Dakota State. But when they got into the Big 12, they realized we need to be able to balance the run and the pass defense a little bit better than we did it at the other level. And so they went to the three-man front. It took them a while to kind of settle into it. But by season's in, they were pretty good in it.
0: Linebacker, though, you, you lose Fletcher. You lose Hennington. You lose Moore. Uh... I wrote down Munoz, but I don't really even remember watching him a whole okay. lot. Uh, is that a drop-off? No.
5: Uh, well, uh, it could be. They picked up Will Honus, another Nebraska player. as They've, they've uh, kind of started to pick up some Nebraska guys who also missed spring football because of an injury. But they have Daniel Green there, who's an NFL guy. Uh, there was a question if he'd come back or not, and he made it very clear that he intended to come back because he had some more business to do. He was overlooked in the Big 12, to be real honest. Uh, I think uh, he didn't get enough respect. He's a guy that plays sideline to sideline, is extremely aggressive. In fact, uh, on two very clean hits, he took out two quarterbacks at can- against Kansas um, just because he's he's a very hard hitter. Uh, so if they can stay healthy, that's the spot where they don't have a lot of depth. In fact, they brought in a transfer who didn't survive the spring, and they're probably mm-hmm. still looking for a transfer in to build up some more depth um, at uh, linebacker because you know this K-State defense, pretty good across the front line, but boy, they, they run into some depth issues pretty quickly if they get some injuries piling up.
0: For sure. And uh, in the secondary there, uh, they do lose Russ Yeast, who was one of my favorite players, the guy that I remember watching as like a sophomore in high school down there at IMG Academy for a lot of those seven-on-sevens. We have those teams come down to, to my state and play. And they're uh, just always a really fun guy to watch and just like a smart, versatile dude. Uh, it, it just makes a lot of sense he would end up at Kansas State in you know, his final form um, in college. McPherson and Stubblefield also depart. But you kind of have to feel pretty good about the corner tandem, right?
5: Yeah, they, they are pretty good. Boydo and, and Brents are two guys that offer different looks. Brents is a little bit longer. Boydo's uh, a smaller guy but plays extremely aggressive. Uh, and um, they're working on building up the depth in that secondary too because they've had some attrition and safety. Uh, that they, they should be okay. But like I said, they better go find a few more guys in the portal here uh, before... Summer camp hits because they definitely need to address that, or, or they they can get themselves into trouble pretty quickly.
0: No doubt about it. Um, Tim, I have to ask you here about the field goal situation last year. Just an inconsistent kicking game, to be honest. It, whereas most of the other special teams on Kansas State were were rated, yeah. you know, okay to to good. Uh, are, are they going to run the same kicker out there?
5: Well, they, they went through a couple kickers. Um, they, they had a young man get hurt and decide to quit football. And then their next kicker got hurt before the bowl game or or was COVID positive i'm not i'm still not sure and they used uh ty zintner their punter to kick he did a good job at the bowl game uh he's you know he can do both he's been primarily their punter uh, so ty came back for the bonus season and we'll see if uh, he handles both duties or they stick with the young guy uh, they just need to get a little more experience there uh, and uh, they have some really promising guys but uh, it's a lot different than practice. trying out there in a Big Twelve game to, to drill some field goals. So yeah, they struggled at times.
0: Schedule this year seems uh, manageable. I mean, the the, the roadies are, are are certainly difficult. You you do have the long travel to to West Virginia this year. Uh, get Texas Tech at home, non conference, should produce a winning record, barring something really yeah. crazy. or are disappointed. Uh, is this a, is this a team that you feel like if if Baylor comes back to the pack or if Oklahoma fails to to achieve the level their fans hope that it's a team that could see itself in the Big 12 title game?
5: They they could. They really could. And, you know, that probably gets back to staying healthy and getting solid quarterback play. But uh, this is a year where they've got the five on the road and the unbalanced schedule in the Big 12. And they're playing all three of their non-cons at home, including Missouri, which will be an adequate test, a pretty good test to have in Manhattan. Uh, But again, they open the season on the road, which K-State does almost every year. In conference play, and they go to Oklahoma, which seems like a horrible place to start. But as much success as Kansas State's had at Norman by catching them early, I think K State's probably pretty happy about getting uh, sooners
0: right out of the gate on the road. No doubt about it. You know, it's, it's also worth noting uh, at, at Baylor at West Virginia, I mean, w- Waco, Morgantown is a lot of travel at the end of the year, but there is a chance, and I'm not projecting this, but there is, of course, a chance West Virginia things could go poorly there. They, they could be maybe not quite as motivated as they would normally be. Uh, to play one of those final games. I, I'd almost rather play the Mountaineers late uh, than early if uh, if they do decide to have a little quit factor in them.
5: I've, I'm more confused about West Virginia than anyone in the Big 12. I, I hear rave reviews about how things are going, and yet every day I see someone else in the portal. So I've been a little uh, baffled by it, and we it will be interesting. Now, the thing about the Big 12 is the conference may not have the elite Alabama, Georgia, but uh, outside of Kansas, which is improving, um it's it's just so brutal week to week anyone can beat anyone uh and and so if you have a little issue you know like some teams do it can come unraveled on you so quickly because there's just no relief
0: yeah just looking at my numbers there there are a whole lot of teams in the big 12 that are in that sort of 35 to 60 range nationally you you don't have a lot of weeks where you're playing somebody who is 90th or one hundred twentieth, as you said It, it really uh you don't have to bring your A game every week, but you need to at least bring your B game. If you bring your C or D, you're, you're not going to skate by. You're going to lose. Uh, you're going to lose. Yeah. And,
5: and that's even to Kansas, which Texas found out. If they KU shows up.
0: <laughs> yes, they did.
5: Lance Leip- Lance is going to get them going a little bit better than they have been, which doesn't say much, but uh, it'll just ramp up this conference even more.
0: No doubt about it. And uh, if you guys want to check out a preview of Missouri as well, uh, we already did the Missouri preview with uh, Mitchell Forty, uh, Pat Forty's son. Uh, It's on our YouTube channel as well. So if you guys want to check that out, a lot of quarterback uncertainty at Missouri uh, going into the year. So getting them early. Uh, Tim, maybe not the worst thing. Really appreciate you joining us today, man. GoPowerCat.com is the best Kansas State site in the world. Everybody needs to check that out. And Tim, uh, enjoy Vegas. Thank you, sir. It's my last day. I'm out of here. All right, that's the bell. Cover 3 College Football Summer School is over for today, but don't worry. We'll be back soon with even more episodes filling you in on the top teams in college football. Please give us those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on YouTube and on Twitter at cover 3 Podcast, and we'll see you all soon.
6: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.